was thinking a season of waiting. I wonder if we know anything about waiting at the moment. So I hope that as we wait and as we look forward to the coming of the Holy Spirit, you are happy to celebrate and wait with us. I want to start this morning with a big thank you. I want to thank you all that you are part of my family in Christ and that you have prayed for me and you have been Jesus to me this week. So thank you all for being part of my church family. And in true church style, it's time for some notices. So we are in the period of thy kingdom come, which is where we are all encouraged to be united and pray for five people to come to know Jesus. And as a church, we are also putting out videos and activities on our Facebook page. So if you're able to, please check them out and hit that like button if you can. If you're not on Facebook, don't fear, it's okay. We are also having Tom Wright's five minute mini sermons onto the Christchurch Basin Hill website. And they can be found if you hit the lockdown button across the top of our webpage. And other notices, if you've been reading Christchurch Connections, you may have seen that this week, only the brave, our youth group, are challenging you to buy some chocolate, but not to eat yourself, buy some chocolate and give it away. And this can be done even if you're shielding, you can leave it on your doorstep for anyone who does your deliveries or your waste collections. And if you're not shielding, surprise anyone, but from a safe distance. Today, Debbie will be helping us to focus on the theme in the world, not of the world. And Ellie Lee and Sue Horobin have kindly recorded our reading and our intercessions for us. As we are in thy kingdom come season and we are approaching Pentecost, I'm starting with a prayer where the response is based on the Lord's prayer and our desire for earth to imitate heaven. So our opening prayer. Jesus, we thank you for sending us the Holy Spirit. Circle the world with the flame of your love. We pray for peace and justice where there is inequality and worry. We pray that there might be joy in the places of oppression. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Holy Spirit, circle this community with a flame of compassion, that though we are separated physically for a time, we might still know the joy of fellowship together. Grant us peace as we travel through the unknown with one another and grant us knowledge of your glory dwelling within us. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. And now let us open our lips to sing of God's glory as we sing, Lord, I lift your name on high. I love 
glad you're in my life I'm so glad you came to save us You came from heaven to earth to show the way From the earth to cross my death your name, Lord God Almighty. In our sinfulness we cry to you to take our guilt away and to cleanse our lips to speak your word through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And may the Father forgive us by the death of his Son and strengthen us to live in the power of the Spirit all our days. Amen. And I invite us to sing a song of praise because of who God is to us. We sing, Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven.
have um, Ellie bring us our reading and following that, Debbie will be talking to us. And so, Lord, we pray that as Debbie speaks, you would open our ears to hear what it is you are saying through her today. Amen. The reading for today is taken from John, chapter 17, and it's verses 1 through to 20. And it's the prayer of Jesus before he was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you. For I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you, and they believe you sent me. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me, because they all belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now I am departing from the world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost except for the one headed for destruction, as the scriptures foretold. Now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world, so they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word. And the world hates them, because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I gave myself as a holy sacrifice for them, so they can be made holy by your truth. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. This is the word of our Lord God, Jesus. Thanks be.
um, for today. And as I did, I remembered with gratitude that prayer was so key in me becoming a Christian. Being prayed for by others and especially being prayed for in person by one of my friends, uncomfortable and confronting, as I have to say, I found that at the time, was the catalyst to me giving up the struggle with God that I've been engaged with during my late teens and early 20s. Because you see, I'm a questioner and I'm a challenger. But through um, those prayers and that prayer in particular, um, I said a wholehearted yes to Jesus who had clearly been at work in my life for some time. And I also realised as I sat down to write this that because of unexpectedly being prayed for on a Zoom call at a low point um, on Monday last week, I went through the rest of this week, the week that's just been, in a different place with God and with myself. So thank you, lovely Sunbeams team. That is miraculous. It's supernatural, isn't it? And I know that no shoulder to cry on or kind words from a friend, however wonderful and precious these are, and they are precious, could have within minutes transformed my feelings of despondency into a deep sense of being held in God's love and in God's peace. Now, I know that it doesn't always happen like that. It doesn't always feel like that, does it? But even when we aren't aware of it, God is working through our prayers and through the prayers of others. So this leads us nicely into looking at this amazing prayer that Ellie has just read for us so beautifully. This prayer was prayed by Jesus for his disciples and for those who believe in him who come after them, which of course is us. Now let's just sit with that for a moment. This is Jesus, who is both fully human and fully God, praying for us, praying for you and for me. How mind-blowing a thought is that? This is God praying for us. And as if that in itself isn't amazing enough, if we look ahead to the chapter immediately after this one, chapter 18, we see that Jesus prays this prayer immediately before he faces the anguish and betrayal of Gethsemane and the unimaginable pain and desolation of the cross. Now, I don't know about you, um, but when I'm facing even a small amount of pain and suffering, I find my thoughts and my prayers are centred well and truly on me. But Jesus prays for his disciples and for us. And it's not just a fleeting mention. It's a heartfelt outpouring of prayer to his father God for those that he was about to lay down his life for. Now then, good preachers, I am told, set the passage in context. Now, I am not claiming 
by any stretch of the imagination to be a good preacher. But I did read through these amazing chapters between the second half of chapter 14 that Rachel preached on last week and chapter 17, where we find ourselves today. And it was time well spent because there is so much amazing teaching in these chapters. And what I noticed as I read them is that it all centres on truth and love. We read about the vine and the branches in chapter 15 and about how being fruitful for God is all about being rooted and remaining in his love. Without him, we can do nothing. Jesus calls us his friends. Isn't that incredible? We aren't servants, but friends. He tells us to expect hardship and persecution. And right at the end of chapter 16, he gives us an amazing truth to cling on to when we do. And I think that this verse um, has real um, resonance at this time that we find ourselves in today. I have told you these things, he says, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That's chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus has overcome the world through what he achieved for us once for all upon the cross. And all of this rich teaching that Jesus gives us in these preceding chapters is encapsulated in this prayer that Jesus prays. This high priestly prayer, as it was termed as early on as the fifth century, is described by Bruce Milne in his commentary as one of the mountain peaks of revelation within John's gospel. William Temple describes it as perhaps the most sacred passage in the four gospels. And so we really are on holy ground as we approach this passage together this morning. And it really does deserve closer attention. Now, there's so much that we could focus on in this prayer. But as I looked at this passage and as I prayed into it, I felt drawn to hone in particularly on verses 13 to 19. And as we do that together now, my hope is that we will find both encouragement and challenge in these verses. My aim is to draw out truth that will help us live wholeheartedly for Jesus at all times and in all places. But also that we might be able to hear something of what God is saying to us now as we live through these days of crisis. So let's be attentive to his spirit as we look at this amazing prayer together now in some more depth. In this prayer, Jesus makes it clear that he isn't praying for the world, but for his disciples and those believers who come after them, which, as I've already said, includes us. As Jesus prays this prayer, his relationship with his disciples is about to fundamentally change. As I said at the start, he's about to be betrayed, crucified, resurrected and ascended to be with God. He is no longer going to be with them to keep them safe. And so he needs to commit them and us to his father in a new way. 
Verse 11 says this, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. And in verse 15, we hear who we will be protected from. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Here, Jesus is praying for protection in the power of God the Father's name. We will come back to the significance of that in just a moment. But first, let's look at why we need protecting and from what and from whom. Jesus knows that both his disciples and those who come after them who believe in him will face two formidable foes, the world and the evil one. Jesus knows that the world is going to turn against him and he's going to be nailed to a cross because of it. He knows that the disciples are going to be hated by the world and that down history, some are going to be martyred for their faith and that many are going to reject the claims of the gospel. Jesus knows that wherever we live and whatever time in history we live in, being a Christian carries a cost. That is why Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. The life of a follower of Jesus was never meant to be easy, was it? Jesus knew that the world was going to be inviting us to lay down our cross and kneel at the altars of its gods of money, sex and power rather than the only true God. Now, as I said those words, we might think to ourselves, oh, well, I've got those, I've got those things sorted. But we're all subject to the pull of the world in a myriad of subtle ways, aren't we? Now, I have a tendency to want to be in charge. That won't surprise those of you that know me well, probably. My natural default is to want things done my way, and how I want them done. And although I've done a lot of work with God in this area, I still sometimes have to remind myself that actually I'm not always right, there are other approaches that I can learn from, and that my immediate gut reaction to things isn't necessarily always the right one. That's where being married to someone who is much more considered than I am really helps. I'm learning humility and surrender, and as I do so, I'm very aware of the world whispering to me and sometimes screaming at me, take control, successful people are in control, you know you're right, and you know that you can do this really well, don't just pray about it, do it. And in this crisis, I find while everything's heightened, that I'm much more susceptible to those voices because everything feels and is so out of control. Now, to think that I'm in control of anything that actually really matters is, of course, to believe a lie. I've never really been in control and I never will be. God is in control and we are in his hands and thank goodness for that. He is God and he is faithful. And this whole crisis is, of course, a stark reminder of that. 
Now, Jesus knew that our biggest enemy of all is the evil one. He is referred to as the prince of this world, and he is behind all the voices that I've just been describing. Peter was about to fall foul to his ploys by denying Jesus, and he describes the evil one in 1 Peter 5 verse 8 as prowling around as a lion, and he is also described as a thief who comes to kill and to destroy. He is a formidable enemy and Jesus wants us to know, wants us to know that. And he prays for God's protection over us from his distractions, from his deceit and from his destruction. Now, I really do think that often as Christians, we don't really begin to grasp the battle that we are in and how important it is in our daily lives that we echo Jesus's prayer. Jesus here only prays protection in God's name and from what? The evil one. Not from famine, not from disease, not from hunger, not from suffering, not from pain, but from the evil one. Why is that, I wonder? I think it's because our biggest threat isn't to our bodies or caused by our circumstances, but our biggest threat is to our souls. Now, by our soul, I mean the powerful combination of our minds, our will and our emotions. The worst thing that could ever happen to us is that the centre of our being, our souls, become separated from God. And the good news is that can never happen to us as long as we choose to remain rooted in Jesus. The evil one wants to destroy our souls and turn our hearts away from God, whether that's through sin distraction, idols, or dependence on self. American Bible teacher Don Carson pointedly says this as he writes about these verses. He says the spiritual dimensions of this prayer of Jesus are consistent and overwhelming. By contrast, we spend more time today praying about our health, our projects, our finances, our family, and even our gains than we do praying about the danger of the evil one. Ouch. That's how I felt when I read that this week. Now, of course, God is interested in all those things. He's interested in our family. He's interested in our health. He's interested in the plan he has for our life. Of course he is. Now, I'm not so convinced that he's interested in our games, but maybe some would disagree. But scripture shows that God is intimately concerned for us and every aspect of our lives. Every hair on our heads is numbered and we are precious in his sight. But his primary concern is that whatever life brings, we remain firmly rooted in him and trust that however we might feel, we are held in his love, his joy and his peace that are unshakable and that are eternal. Jesus prays in these verses that we will have the full measure of his joy within us. That's verse 13. You see, there are no half measures with God, are there? And there are no limits to the blessings that he lovingly bestows on his children. And again, isn't it remarkable that looking straight ahead to imminent and agonising death, 
Jesus refers to the full measure of his joy. That shows beyond any doubt that supernatural joy is not dependent on circumstances or about feelings of happiness, but comes from knowing that in God we are secure and held and that nothing we go through can ever separate us from his love. So in very practical terms then, how were the disciples and those who come after them, us, to survive the pull and the ploys of the world and the devil? Well, Jesus gives us the answer quite clearly in this prayer, by the power of God's name. Now, as John Langridge said in his wonderful thought for the day last week, none of us can begin to understand the full extent of who God is. The more we discover, then the more there is yet to know and enjoy. But what we do know is that God's name is revealed in his character. His name is revealed in his character. Therefore, it follows that if we want to have protection in the power of God's name, we need to do all we can to understand God's character. Jesus brought the disciples and all his followers who come since a whole new understanding and revelation of God's character. Yes, we see God's character wonderfully displayed in the Old Testament, but the clearest revelation of who God is is found in the person of Jesus Christ. So to know who God is, we need to know and love Jesus. We need to immerse ourselves in the character and teachings of Jesus, and we need to spend time connecting with the heart of Jesus through simply enjoying being in his presence. That revelation of who God is through Jesus and in the person and the outworking of the Holy Spirit is what kept and empowered those disciples to do all that they did. And it's what protects, keeps and empowers us too. Then crucially, if we know and recognise God's character, we will know and recognise his voice and be able to distinguish it from the voice of the evil one. Now, I get lost a lot. This is because I have very little sense of direction. And also because if I'm in conversation with someone, I notice very little of anything else that is going on around me. Now, this probably makes me a good listener, but it makes me a hopeless navigator. So consequently, I rely on others to help me find my way. And when left alone in a new place, it can easily and very quickly all go very badly wrong. Now, one of the worst instances of me getting lost happened in Greece a couple of years ago. Now, if you haven't heard my donkey story as yet, do ask me. Now, I'm able to laugh about it now, but I really was not able to laugh about it at the time. Now, to cut a very long story short, as I arrived at the bottom of some very crowded streets in a place called Lindos, very hilly, steep um, place. So as I arrived at the bottom of some very crowded streets, bedraggled, sweaty, exhausted and riding on a very old 
and even more exhausted and traumatised than I was, looking donkey, suddenly, above all the noise, it was a busy place, there were lots of people watching my humiliation, and over all the voices of the strangers, I heard Naomi's voice yelling with some degree of panic, Mum! Mum! Are you okay? I knew I was lost no more and that my family were there waiting for me. Now this whole thing had taken, I don't know, probably an hour or more that I'd been lost and Peter was cross. In fact, he blamed me entirely for the whole thing because yes, yet again, it was obvious which way I should go that I had got lost. And consequently, he didn't rush forward to greet me and help me down from the said donkey. In fact, he didn't get to enjoy the spectacle of me riding on a donkey at all. And according to the girls, my descent from the donkey was quite a sight to behold. Miriam was desperately stifling her giggles, she told me afterwards. But crucially, I knew my, my ordeal was over. I wasn't lost anymore and I wouldn't remain stranded in Lindos forever. I heard a voice I recognised and I knew that I was okay. In John chapter 10, Jesus says this, very truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Jesus is the good shepherd and his followers need to learn to know and obey his voice. That is how we truly stay alert and stay safe. Now, in these verses, Jesus also prays that we won't be taken out of the world. That's verse 14. Jesus wants us to be fully engaged in his mission in the world. Everything we read about him in the Gospels and displayed so powerfully and completely at the cross shows that Jesus loves the world and that God has and will be actively engaged in loving his world from Alpha to Omega. So I wonder if now we can just very briefly dwell on what God might be saying to us about our mission in the world, specifically at this time of crisis. How do we live and reach out to our communities as disciples who are in the world, but not of the world? And here I am going to be brief, you'll be relieved to know, because many of our thoughts for the day have touched on this. And I actually think that what Jill Duff, the Bishop of Lancaster, says on this is really Holy Spirit breathed. Now, Peter sent out a video clip of her talking in place of a thought for the day on Wednesday last week. And if you haven't watched it as yet, please do try and do so this week. So as Jill Duff so beautifully and movingly puts it, I think more than anything, what God is saying through this crisis is come home. And I think that as always, it starts with us. Why? First and foremost, because he loves us, but also because he wants to use his people to help those who are lost 
to find their way home. Now, I know, of course, that if we said yes to Jesus, as I did all those years ago, we're already home and we can live completely secure in that assurance and that promise. However, I wonder if during this time, God is beckoning us to a deeper understanding of what that actually means. As we've explored already, he wants us to have an ever deepening experience of his love for us as his children, as much loved sons and daughters. And I believe that if we use this time to bask in his love and allow him to refine and change us, we will find that we have even softer hearts that are even more overflowing with love for him. And then from that place of deep loving and being loved, we will have hearts that overflow with God's heart of love and compassion for those around us who need to come home to him. Jill Duff describes this love and compassion not as a come and have a cuppa with me or even can I do your shopping kind of love, but as a gut-wrenching, heartbreaking compassion that moves us to tears. Because that is the kind of love that gets closer to the love God has for those who don't know him or have turned their hearts away from him. And we see that so powerfully displayed in the story of the prodigal son, don't we? Maybe we can read that again this week, spend some time dwelling in it, and ask God to give us hearts like that for the lost. Because as Jill Duff says, we need to wake up to the reality that in our world right now, there are millions upon millions of people living as sheep without a shepherd, who are fearful and afraid whose hope in material things is shattered and who are dying without knowing there is a saviour. That is a powerful wake-up call, isn't it? But when we think in terms of millions, it feels overwhelming, doesn't it? It does to me. So what about if instead of feeling overwhelmed, we pray, God, who in my street my community feels like that and what are you asking me to do or us as a church to do about it? I think then Jill's words lose none of their power or urgency but the task becomes doable and of course we also need to remember don't we that where God calls he also equips and we do none of it in our own strength but in, but in his that is how we live as those who are in the world, but not of the world, and in the power of God's name. And the Gospels tell us that there is much rejoicing over one person who repents and is saved, because God cares for each one of his children as if they were the only one he has. How incredible is that? Now, I want to end by showing the poem um, the Great Realisation. It's a very powerful recognition of some of what um, might be changing in our world, in our nation, in our communities through this crisis. It's gone viral in the last few weeks. You may have seen it already, but I think it's worth another watch. 
And as we watch this together now, I would like us to be asking God to stir our hearts for what he's saying to us at this time. Because we know, don't we, that the greatest realisation for humanity isn't being kind, it isn't spending more time with our families, it isn't even looking after the environment, important and God-breathed as all those things are. But the great realisation is about every person recognising their need of a saviour, the only one who speaks truth and brings hope and the only one who truly satisfies. Amen. Tell me the one about the virus again, then I'll go to bed. But my boy, you're growing weary, sleepy thoughts about your head. Please, that one's my favourite. I promise just once more. Okay, snuggle down, my boy, though I know you know full well. The story starts before then, in a world I once would dwell. It was a world of waste and wonder, of poverty and plenty, back before we understood why hindsight's twenty-twenty. You see, the people came up with companies to trade across all lands, but they swelled and got much bigger than we ever could have planned. We'd always had our wants, but now it got so quick. You could have anything you dreamed of in a day, and with a click. We noticed families had stopped talking. That's not to say they never spoke, but the meaning must have melted, and the work-life balance broke, and the children's eyes grew squarer, and every toddler had a phone. They filtered out the imperfections, but amidst the noise, they felt alone. And every day the skies grew thicker, till you couldn't see the stars. So we flew in planes to find them, while down below, we filled our cars. We'd drive around all day in circles. We'd forgotten how to run. We swapped the grass for tarmac, shrunk the parks till there were none. We filled the sea with plastic, because our waste was never capped. Until each day when you went fishing, you'd pull them out, already wrapped. And while we drank and smoked and gambled, our leaders taught us why. It's best to not upset the lobbies. More convenient to die. But then in 2020, a new virus came our way. The governments reacted and told us all to hide away. But while we all were hidden, amidst the fear and all the while, the people dusted off their instincts. They remembered how to smile. They started clapping to say thank you and calling up their mums. And while the car keys gathered dust, they would look forward to their runs. And with the skies less full of voyagers, the earth began to breathe. And the beaches bore new wildlife that scuttled off onto the seas. Some people started dancing. Some were singing. Some were baking. We'd grown so used to bad news, but some good news was in the making. And so when we found the cure, and were allowed to go outside, we all preferred the world we found to the one we'd left behind. Old habits became extinct, and they made way for the new, and every simple act of kindness was now given its due. But why did it take a virus to bring the people back together? Well, sometimes you've got to get sick, my boy, before you start feeling better. Now lie down and dream of tomorrow and all the things that we can do, 
And who knows, if you dream hard enough, maybe some of them will come true. We now call it the Great Realisation. And yes, since then there have been many. But that's the story of how it started, and why hindsight's twenty twenty. Debbie for taking us deeper into the powerful prayer of Jesus for us. 
and reminding us that we are home in God's love. And now we come to our time of intercession, which have been kindly recorded for us by Sue. Lord God, our Father, we thank you for the privilege of prayer. You have always been and always will be. You are the God of the past, the present and the future. Before a word is on our tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. We thank you that you're with us always, in all times and all places. We give thanks for Jesus' teaching here on earth, for the clear commandments of loving the Lord our God and loving each other. And we thank you too for the sending of your Holy Spirit. In the quietness of our hearts, we thank you for the times this week that we have felt especially blessed. We give thanks for those who show their love in sacrificial giving, for the NHS and care home staff who are keeping going despite the repeated trauma of seeing people suffer from this terrible virus, those who daily have to don uncomfortable protective equipment, those who leave their families every day to go to work and hope they don't bring the virus back to their loved ones, those who've made the decision not to live with their own families because of this very risk. Lord, we thank you for all the teaching staff who have been keeping schools open for vulnerable children and those of key workers, while also providing online learning and support to families at home. We pray for their protection and pray especially for head teachers who face the very difficult task of providing schooling on site while also protecting children, staff and families. We give thanks and pray for all those involved in ensuring the availability of our food. Lord, we pray for those family who even before this pandemic were reliant on food banks and for all who are now in financial difficulties, including charities who are facing shortfalls at a time when they are needed the most. Please guide our politicians in the unenviable task of balancing the risk of further economic decline with the resurgence of the virus. And Lord, while we think of and pray for our nation, we are so aware that this is a global crisis. We pray for those who do not have the same access to healthcare, and especially for those in refugee camps for whom social distancing is not an option. Father God, we bring before you those who've experienced loss, particularly those who've had the trauma of loss without being able to say goodbye. We pray for new parents who are unable to share those precious first months with their family and friends. We pray for the lonely, the homeless, and those whose mental health is under increased strain, and for those facing domestic violence. We give thanks for all the men and women working so closely together with the common aim of finding an effective treatment and vaccine. Lord, please bless their work. Lord, as our reliance upon our old way of life has been so shaken by a bug invisible to the human eye, may we turn to you, our rock, our firm foundation. We give grateful thanks for the support of our church community, for our leaders and all who play their part in running services, scribing thoughts for the day and encouraging each other with phone calls. We thank you for all those new to Christ Church who have tuned into the online services. May we all be blessed by hearing your word and commit more deeply to following your way. 
One day, Lord, the pandemic of 2020 will be in the history books. Lord, we need to decide what the legacy will be. Will it be known as the turning point in which we learn to take care of our environment, when we learn to, val to most highly value the least well-paid? Will it be known as a time of revival when men, women and children turn to you? Lord, may your spirit speak now into the hearts of each one of us as we commit this time, this week, this year, our lives to you. Amen. So we unite our prayers by saying the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. And now our final song is about everyone coming to, wor coming to worship a God who reigns, a God who loves us through anything and everything. So whether you know this song or not, let the words wash over you as we focus on a God who sent his son to die for us, a son who prayed for us even at his darkest hour. Everyone's coming to praise, joining together to honor your name. Jesus is Lord, we will sing of everything. Coming to praise, showing the world it is Jesus who reigns. He is the light and the way of everything. 
as we approach the end of our service, I am sorry that I can't offer you a coffee, but thank you for gathering together with us today. Even though we can't meet physically, spiritually, we are together and we are holding each other. So please join in in your homes with the closing responses. In your world, living God, we will sing your song of justice. In your world, living God, we will dance your dance of peace. In your world, living God, we will live your way of love. And may the song of creation restore you, the song of justice infuse you, the song of heaven enlighten you, and the blessing of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with us now and always. Amen. <laughs>